Man, well, it's good to be in God's house tonight. It's, it's awesome to be here with some great missionaries. Um, man, Sand Mountain Bible Camp has made such an impact in my life. I didn't get saved there. I didn't get called to preach there, but I know I got right with God many times there uh, as we went up there and, and heard preaching and different things. And I think, I'm thankful for Sand Mountain Bible Camp and for the Gregories for what an example they've set over the years, just faithfulness and uh, consistency. And uh, I know God's used them in my life in a special way over the years as well. And being able to sit on that missionary meeting the, the, uh, with the deacons in there, uh, hearing about Vietnam and brother talking about that and how he's already working toward learning the language. And he just had all the answers uh, and just uh, the, the fervency and the fire about him uh, to get over there and begin church planning was just was very encouraging to hear that. Uh, with that being said, let's take our Bibles and turn to Jonah chapter number one. Jonah chapter number one, Mark, Mark Coffey would be proud of me turning the book of Jonah. This is not his message, by the way. Mark owns the book of Jonah when it comes to missions messages. Uh, just a word about faith promise as you're turning in your Bibles there. Not all, not, the way that churches do faith promise are not always the same. You'll see there's a little bit of uh, a difference uh, if you go to different churches and how they do faith promise. But some of the things that are, that are common or that are in common amongst the churches that all church people, young and old, are encouraged to get involved in that. Teach your kids to get involved with that as a young age, to fill out a card and to follow through on their promise. And the faith that you're exercising is to be placed in God, not in your own power. Uh, church members are encouraged to give as much money as possible while trusting God to meet their needs. Uh, the whole process is to be carried out in faith, uh, trusting God to supply. And so just keep that in mind as you pray over what God would have you to give this year in 2020 as we get closer, uh, closer than we ever have before to the return of Jesus Christ. Jonah chapter number one. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said, Every one of his fellow come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us. We pray thee, for whose cause this evil is come upon us? What is thine occupation? Hence comest thou. What is, thy count, what is thy country? And of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. 
And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for being able to come to your house. Thank you for the awesome ministries that we were able to see and hear from this evening. And God, we pray that we would be able by faith to partner with these ministries in the coming days. God, I pray that you'd bless Sand Mountain Bible Camp, and I pray that you'd get the gospel to Vietnam. Lord, we pray as we meet together this evening and we think about faith promise and we look at the word of God, that you would stir our hearts, that you would challenge us, that you would convict us, that you would wake us up spiritually. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's an old saying that storms are good sleeping weather. And I guess that was the case for a lady named Betty Russell back in 2012. This 77-year-old lady had fallen asleep on her couch during a storm and did not realize that a tornado had ripped off part of her roof and damaged most of her home, part of which was smashed in by a tree that had fell upon it. Until she was asleep, until firefighters and neighbors came in to check on her. Can you imagine walking into this house, this home, expecting probably to find a dead body, only to find an old lady peacefully asleep on the couch and you have to wake her up? That's what, like what happened here in the book of Jonah. There's a terrible storm going on, one that, ex- that even scared experienced sailors. Imagine being on a flight. This might relate to you better. Imagine being on a flight. I'm not a big fan of flying. I fly and get on a plane for a long period of time, but you just fake it like you're not nervous or anything while you get on there. And so you get on the plane and you're flying along and all of a sudden the steward, you hit, you hit some turbulence and the, the plane starts bouncing. You do what everybody else does on the plane. You fake it as if, uh, you know, this is just turbulence. Everybody, we always have turbulence. You look at the guy next to you, look at the other pre- 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 people around you. They're all looking around too because they're not scared either. And then the stewardess start running up and down the aisles, flailing their arms and saying, oh God, help us, have mercy on us as we go down. And then the captain of the, of the plane comes over the air, air comes and says, I've never been in a storm like this. We're going down. We would all be scared then, right? Yeah. And so this is the situation that these sailors, experienced sailors are in. The captain of the ship is even scared. They're crying out to God, to their gods. And they find Jonah in the bottom of the ship asleep. And they say to him in verse 6, So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. Christian, can I ask you, are you asleep in a perishing world? Are you asleep dreaming only of the cares and affairs of this world as they they relate and benefit you? Romans 13, 11 says, and that knowing the time that now is the high time to wake out of sleep for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Are you sleeping this evening spiritually when there's a world lost and dying and going to hell? I want us to look at Jonah's situation in four ways. He was disobeying God's will. He was trying to run from God's presence. He was confronted with his sin and he was willing to waste his life. The first of which he was disobeying God's will. He had received the message of God. Look at Jonah 1.1. 1, 1. 
It says, now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Jonah had received the word of God. He had received the message of God. He knew what he was supposed to do. Received direct orders, a message from God. Let me ask you this evening, when did you receive the gospel? How many times have you heard the gospel? How many sermons and lessons have you heard? You've heard so many that you fall asleep when you hear them now. You, you, when the gospel is being uh, preached many times, when somebody actually goes into like the Romans road or starts talking about John 3.16, there's something in our brains sometimes it just shuts off because we're so used to hearing that message. How many Bibles do you have in your house? The Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. Are you asleep? Is your sleep causing your children to be asleep spiritually? It's all fine now. Maybe while they have their youthfulness, while they still have their beauty, only to find out later on down the line that beauty is vain. Only to find out later on down the line that all the accolades that they accumulated and the praise of men really didn't amount to anything and you set them up to fail because they have not learned to worship their God. You see what worship is? Worship is loving God more than anything else in the world. Amen. Worship is fearing God, giving Him the respect and reverence that, you, that, that everything else in this world pales to. And so that you live your life day in, day out, until you come to the end of your life and you can say like the Apostle Paul, to stay here is good for you, but to depart is far better. That's worship. Because when you die, you leave this place, you're simply going to the person that you worshipped your whole life. Amen. To whom much is given, much is required. We've heard the gospel so many times. We've got the message of God. He had received direct orders from God. Look at verse number two. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Jonah had, a, had received the message. He had received direct orders from God, a command to get up and to go, and it meant for him to leave comfort, family, familiarity for a foreign land. He was a Jewish nationalist. He loved his people and go unto a foe, an enemy of his own people. Matthew 28, 18 to 20 tells us that Jesus came and spake unto them saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. Somewhere along the lines in the church, we have learned to set our default setting to stay. But the words of our Lord are to go. Parents, if you said to go to your children and they said, well, what he really means is to stay, would you be upset with them? A command to cry out against their wickedness. He said, cry against it for their wickedness has come up before me. In Luke 24, 47, it says that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem, crying against their wickedness. You see, when you send out missionaries to Vietnam, you send out missionaries to England, you send out missionaries to South Africa, when missionaries go around the world, we're going out crying against the wickedness in these countries, not 
just in particular things, but that they're sinners and that they're on their way to hell. But there's many things about their culture and, and that they're, they're living in that are extremely offensive to God. And it's a way in which we can show them that they are sinners. In South Africa, we have the ancestor worship of the Kosa people and we have the dead religion of the Dutch Reformed. But they have to receive the message of their own sinfulness, their own wickedness, before they can re receive the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we take the gospel of these people, it's extremely offensive to them. But Jonah had received a command, a command to go, a command to cry out, receive that message from God. I love what William Booth said. He said, not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burdened, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. And then look Christ in the face whose mercy you have professed to obey and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the whole world. You see, it's been pointed out in this book of Jonah that of all the people and all the things mentioned in the book, the storm, the lots, the fish, the Ninevites, the gourd, the worm, and the east wind, the only thing that disobeyed God in this book was the man of God. Everything else obeyed God. Friend, that's a shame. Don't let that be you. Don't let that be me. Are we asleep in the midst of a coming storm? Do you realize that one day the night is going to be over with? The day is going to be over with. Time is going to be ended. God is going to stop the opportunity of salvation. The door will be closed. And from that point on, all the people of the earth that do not know him will experience the other side of his wrath. So he was disobeying God. Secondly, he was running from God's presence. Look at verse number three. But Jonah, instead of going, he rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Joseph, jo Jonah made a choice after hearing God's word. He got up to flee. He rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. We said this last night, but I'll say it again. Every time we hear God's word, every time we're confronted with truth, we make a choice. All of us are choosing to hear and obey or continue in spiritual sleep or rebellion. You'll make a decision even during this message. He searched for his own will. The Bible says he went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. It's amazing how we find ways, we will find ways, we will work at finding ways to do our own will, but avoid doing God's will. You know, what, what your heart is set upon, you will find a way to accomplish that. What your heart loves most, you will find a way 
to get that done. Amen. Maybe the reason we don't do God's will many times is because we don't have the love in our heart like we should for our Lord. Many will deceive themselves into thinking that God is okay with their half-hearted Christian life. Christ is just a tag-along for many of us, not supreme ruler. Others will even make you feel like this is all right because they're doing the same. In Psalm 48, 49, verse 18, the Bible says, though while, he ble though while he lived, he blessed his soul, and men will praise thee when thou doest well to thyself. You know what that means? That the world's full of idol worshipers. And, and you may have some little idols in your life that you like to coddle and, and worship on your own. And you'll find people, even Christian people, even people in the church, that when you worship those idols, they'll pat you on the back. They'll praise you for it. Because they can relate to the life that you live. But that doesn't mean the God of heaven is fooled by that. Or he's pleased with that. Jonah paid to get away. Look at verse number three again. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went 2,500 to 3,000 miles in the opposite direction of where God had told him to go. Let me say this, that sin will always cost you. Friend, when God is ask, telling you to do something and God's commands are clear and they involve all of us, and when we avoid those things, and we even fool our Christian brothers and sisters into thinking that we're a good Christian, but in actuality, we know, we know the circumstances of our life. We know the reality of our life. It will cost us. We had a young man in South Africa. His name was Ntobeko. He got, he got saved. He got called to preach, and he went out, and he planted a church. He, he did Bible Institute, went out and planted a church in Soweto and worked there for, for a few years. And a girl in our church was raised up in Sunday school. It was a, a great young lady. She gave her life to serve the Lord, and he married her. And they, they were working there for a while, and all of a sudden, uh, Tobacco got a job opportunity in another city to make a lot of money. And Tobacco chose that money over serving the Lord. I don't know how many months later it was, but about 4 o'clock in the morning, I got a phone call, and it was in Tobacco. And he said, Pastor, he said, can we talk? I said, sure, we can talk. He said, well, good, I'm at your gate. Those take a few years off your life, those phone calls and people showing up at your gate in the middle of the morning. He comes in, he talks to me, him and his wife are crying, weeping. He had had an affair, cheated on his wife. And Tobacco and his wife are no longer together today. They're divorced. What God had put together what God had blessed him with, what God was using him to do, and how good God had been to him is him. And Tobacco was a bitter person today. And, and Tobacco was a self-righteous person today. He ran from God's will, and he pursued the treasures of this world. He paid severe consequences for that sin will always cost you. Thirdly, it was causing evil upon others. What Jonah was doing was causing evil upon others. Look at verse number 8. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation? Hence comest thou, and what is thy country? And of what people art thou? In verse 12, 
Jonah said, for I know that for my sake, this great tempest is upon you. See, what Jonah was doing was ridiculous. Look at what he says in verse number nine. He said unto them, I'm in Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, really? The God of heaven, which made the sea and the dry land. Jonah's like, yeah, I'm running from the God that I fear that actually made the ocean or the waters that we're in at this very moment that are going crazy. In Jeremiah 23, 23, it said, am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? See, when you run from God, when you try to do your own thing, you may not say this with your lips, but it's what you're doing in reality. And you're hiding in plain sight. Anybody that has a toddler and you played hide and go seek with them as a kid, they're terrible at it. They'll lay in the middle of the bed with a blanket over them and you see the, 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 their, their body under the, under the covers or they're behind the curtain, you see, their, you see their little feet. Terrible at it. And friend, when you run from God, it's as if you're a toddler trying to hide from your parents. You're, it's obvious to him. He sees you, you're in plain sight. Even in the belly of the well, in Jonah 2.2, God heard Jonah and knew right where Jonah was. Jonah was a prophet with terrible theology. He thought God was restricted to a place and that he could run from him. Are you a Christian with bad theology? Thinking that somehow God will overlook you, God will not be able to see you or find you, and that you are one particular Christian that can live however they want to, for whatever they want to? And have no concern or little concern for a world that is dying and going to hell? It was rebellious. In verse 10, the Bible says, Then they were the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Jonah flat out acknowledged, I am running from God, his presence, and his will for my life. I don't want to do what he wants me to do. It was reaping. In verse 12, it says, And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Now listen to this. Jonah's disobedience was not harmless. And it wasn't just affecting Jonah. Jonah's disobedience put the lives of those that he was running with in danger and left those he was neglecting to reach in danger. Someone pointed out that this might have been the most selfish thing that Jonah did in this book. If I can't run from God, then just kill me. Then I know the Ninevites will not receive the message of God. Friend, when you try to run from God, or you're asleep spiritually, you're kind of cold and indifferent, lukewarm to the things of God, Ignoring the storms of correction, discipline that come your way, you put people around you in danger and leave the lives of those that God has called you and wants to use your life to reach in serious danger. Who is failing to know your God because you are asleep? Each and every one of us in this room. We talked about this in the first message that we're part of God's mercy and grace his light being left on in this world, calling people to him to save them. 
Who's failing to know God because you're asleep spiritually or you're in rebellion, not willing to warn them? In Ezekiel 33, 6, it talks about the watchman. And it, says, it talks about if the watchman sees the sword come and blows not the trumpet and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. He says, so thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way and turn from it, if he do not turn away from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Friend, you're the Lord's watchman. We are the Lord's watchman. The church is the Lord's watchman. We send watchmen across the ocean to places that we can't reach. But even here, we have to have that watchman mentality. We know the wrath of God. We know the judgment of God is coming. It's not a, it's not a question. It's not the lottery. There's not a, it's, not, it's not a chance in this. We know that they are going to face God one day. And without the, 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 the blood of Jesus Christ having washed away their sins, they're going to be eternally punished by God. The last one, he was willing to waste his life. Jonah was willing to waste his life rather than to do God's will. What God had called him to do, it didn't fit his agenda. It didn't sit well with him at all. Do you realize, do you realize, and I hope our young people will hear this, do you realize that your life only has meaning and purpose and worth as you live for the pleasure of your creator. That's it. Living apart, listen, living apart from surrender and service to God, it, it, it's like a guy that, that tells you how great he is at football. He's just this awesome football player, just incredible football player, only to find out at the end of the conversation when you ask him what team do you play for, he says, well, I never played for a team. It's ridiculous. Friend, whatever you succeed at in this world, whatever you're successful at in this world, whatever you're great at in this world, if you didn't do it in surrender and service to God, it was an absolute failure. Because your life only has purpose and meaning as it's connected to bringing glory to your creator. And God has given us a very small window of what brings glory to him. That is his will that he left with us his last orders as he left this earth to take his gospel which means so much to him that God would spare his own son and that his son would do uh, go through that horrendous death for us to take that message that can save men anyone to the ends of the earth God despite Jonah ended up saving a great city through the weak vessel of Jonah just like he did the, 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 the sailors in Jonah chapter 1, verse 16. Jonah preached few words. Look at, look at Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. Look at Jonah's message. He walks through this great city, and Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, 
yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. Man, preachers will spend hours preparing a message. Jonah preached in English eight words. Apparently it's five in Hebrew. Five words. And a whole city, a, a terrible, wicked, heathen king and all of his people repented and believed God. It says in verse 5, so the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even unto the least of them. Jonah gave little effort. Jonah didn't even have his heart right toward these people. Jonah was angry when God gave grace instead of wrath. In verse 10 it says, and God saw their works of chapter 3, that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he said he would do unto them and he did it not. You flip over to Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, and watch this verse. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. It's amazing what God can do with the least of us, even with our spiritual imperfections. I love what D.L. Moody said, the world is yet to see what God can do through a person that is completely yielded to him. Amen. Look what God did with, with, with Jonah. With such few, with few words, with hatred even in his heart as he's preaching these words. But that's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 1, 25. He says, the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. See, God's not looking to use the most talented people in the room. God will use your life. And God does use those that are wise and have excelled in education or a specific field those that have all kinds of talents and abilities but it's on a rare occasion because many times those people are too successful for God one of the greatest preachers that we had in South Africa young men young man that God I baptized him when he was like 12 his name was Babalo Nyumbana this guy I'm serious he could have come to the states and preached revivals and and preached and sang and played the piano just an incredible young man gifted Smart. He'd memorize books. He could preach American preachers' messages better than they could. He's a better Kenny Baldwin than Kenny Baldwin is a Kenny Baldwin. But Babalo is not serving the Lord anymore. Not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. If you'll give your life to God, he'll do amazing things with it. I've ne I would have never imagined that God is, would, would have done what he's done through my life. I am nothing special. I was a C student at best. There's nothing great about Kevin Hall, but I serve a great God. Amen. And I, I have a gospel that is the power of God into salvation. It saves people. I don't do it. God gives the increase. We just get involved in his work. We don't have much. Maybe you don't have much to give. But God takes that little and he, he does amazing things with it. So all I can do is pray. Man, the, the Spurgeon said the greatest thing that someone can do for me is to pray for you. Pray for your missionaries. You say, I, I just don't know that if God can use me. If you knew my background, what, if you'll give your life to him, trust him. Stop trying to fill in all the blanks and step out in faith. Say, God, I don't know, but here I am I. Use my life. And stop putting it off. Stop putting it off. 
God wants to use your life to save others. Jonah knew this about God. He knew God's character. Jonah hated these people. The Assyrian people were idolatrous, proud, ruthless, a ruthless nation, bent on world con They had invaded and pillaged Israel on, on multiple occasions, apparently. But listen to his response. Listen to the response of Jonah after God saved these people. In Jonah 4.2, he says, and he prayed unto the Lord. And he's angry. He's exceedingly angry. So this, this prayer is going like this. And he prayed unto the Lord and he said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country, therefore I fled before into Tarsus, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and a merciful God, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentance thee of evil. He's angry as he's praying this prayer after this great revival has taken place and all these wicked people have been spared from God's wrath. Friend, that's the God that we serve. The same God of the Old Testament is the same God in the New Testament. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And it tells us in Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But there's a big but in Romans chapter 10, verse 14. But how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? It's God's will to save the world. It's God's will that none would perish. But how can they repent? How can they believe? Except they get a preacher. So we need to stop asking ourselves what we will do with our life. Or even what God wants, us, wants to do with our life. But rather what his will is and how we fit into it. And we find out what that is right here. His will is that none would perish. His will that all would come to repentance. So we've got to figure out in our life how we fit in to accomplishing that will. These were Jonah's enemies. They didn't deserve God's mercy, according to Jonah. He wanted God to pour out his wrath upon them. Let me ask you, is that your attitude about this world? Maybe a particular person? Particular people? We serve a God that is quick to forgive and to save. And it's silly and hypocritical of us. Silly and hypocritical of us to ask God to bless our church, bless our homes, if we have hatred in our heart toward other people of any race, color, tongue, that is absolutely ridiculous to ask God to bless our homes and our, and our church if there's any of that in us. Jonah had it in him. God knows you. Jonah went out of the city in Jonah chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, and there he, he made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city and the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. And it says, so Jonah was exceedingly glad of the gourd. So there's a constant contrast going on in this story between what made Jonah happy and what made Jonah angry. He knows how we care about our comfort, God does. Our gourds, what are our gourds? vanity it was in this case that thing in that context at that time in that situation that life to that person that was more important more satisfying than God rescuing and saving 
sinners. I don't know what your gourd is. And it's not a rich man, poor, uh, rich man problem. It's a human problem. We have gourds all over the place in South Africa. We have all kinds of things that are more important to our church people and our churches in South Africa than God saving sinners, than God getting his gospel to the ends of the earth. Little things, little nothings, little things that, that don't matter at all in the, in the grand scheme of things, temporal things. What is your gourd? What cranks your engine? What makes you ha exceedingly happy? It's more important, gets you more excited than the gospel getting to some lost souls in Vietnam. He knows we care more about our preferences and our people and our plans than we do about his. Jonah cared more about his shade and his gourd than he did about this huge city about to be destroyed by God. God cared more for this great city than he did for his own life and his own son. See the contrast between God and Jonah? God's heart and Jonah's heart? God's priorities and Jonah's priorities? Jonah was glad over a gourd. Jonah was, was glad about these things. Uh, and God was glad that a city had been saved. God cared more for the cattle in this great city than Jonah did for the people of this city. I'm finished. Jonah 4, 9, it says, And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in the night and perished in the night. And should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? Probably over 600,000 people in the city that God just spared. The people he created and would send his son to die for. God cared more for the animals in the city than Jonah did for the people of the city. And I think the book of Jonah is a mirror that we're supposed to pick up and to look into and see how God loves his enemies, this world that is constantly attacking and offending him. And how we fail to. Is your attitude like Jonah's? That little things in this life, that God gives us, but he never means them to mean and to, to give us purpose and the joy that we, we get out of them. Over the joy that we could get out of his gospel going to the ends of the earth and God saving lost people. Friend, the last days are upon us. We're in them. The rapture and the wrath of God is closer than it's ever been before. Are you disobeying God's will for your life? Are you foolishly running from the presence of God? Are you guilty of even causing evil to come upon others by your sin of omission or commission? Are you going to waste your life or what you have left of it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time this evening. God, I pray that you please use your message. Wake us up. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. How many say tonight that you're glad you're saved and on the way to heaven? Would you slip up your hand? And you know the reason? Somebody brought you the gospel. Thank the Lord for that. We ought to be exceedingly glad to be part of a ministry that believes in touching the world and reaching the world. But maybe the Lord's spoken to your heart about what makes you exceedingly glad. And you need to rearrange some things and your life and you need to surrender more of your life 
You know, this was a wonderful privilege to hear these missionaries, and I'm challenged by their sacrifice. I'm challenged by their faith, and that's what church is all about, that we challenge each other. But you'd say tonight, preacher, the, the Lord has spoken to my heart through this message, and I don't want to be a Jonah. I don't want to be wayward. I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to waste another day, another moment on selfish desires. But I want to surrender everything I have to the Lord. I want you to pray with me and for me that God would use me as a soul winner and a missionary on my job, in my school, wherever I might be, that I just put God first. That's your prayer tonight. Would you slip your hand up high for prayer all over this place? God bless you. Father, use this message. Thank you, God, for speaking to my heart. And God, I prayed I would never be a Jonah. But God, I thank you for your grace and your power. Even when we backslide, Lord, you know how to get our attention and bring us back. And God, we've been challenged through these uh, missionaries tonight. Uh, thank you for the Matthews. Thank you for Brother Jesse and, and his dear wife. And God, I know their desire is to see young people saved here and over in Vietnam. And so, Lord, please challenge our hearts through their surrender and their life and through this message. In Jesus' name. Amen.